Hey, we're back. Oh, yes, he went to sleep. Ah, well, it is late. Um, I, I, I get that. Yeah, I mean, I just realised how late it is. It's like think... one a.m. Yeah, how is it? Where are we now? Yeah, one o one. One o one. Because, uh, yeah, before the well, in part one, I had no uh, timekeeping thing because I don't wear a watch, and so. My phone is my timekeeper, which is what I'm communicating with you through. And I thought, if I just, I can't, obviously now this has gone full screen, so I thought, if I scoop that down to look at the time, that might actually fuck things up. So I just went, yeah, it'll be fine. I went for that little wee and went, fuck me, it's 10 to 1. Now. <laughs> so that was, that was good. It was a good, good first, first half, I thought. Good, good first half, yeah, good 90 minutes. I also uh, had a question that occurred to me. It actually occurred to me because uh, obviously this whole thing sparked off from the Chinese democracy being 11 years old, is it? Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Eight, 18 years old. It might be 18 years old, I think. So yeah, that's why I thought, I, mean, I remember we were actually thinking, actually, we should leave this for the, for the podcast. I thought, yes, because it, it just, it, it, so we listened to it quite a bit. But the thing that really struck me was, this is my question. And it harks back to a question you sent to me years ago in an email that I don't think I ever actually got around to answering, which was, if you could go back and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell them? Because that's such a fucking mind-blowingly big question. I thought, that needs a lot of thought. And I thought about it so much, never went doing it. So I thought I'd spin that around and go, so if you're in Guns N' Roses, right? Or, yeah, so you're Guns N' Roses. And you could go back to that band, let's say, just before they recorded Appetite. Okay? Okay. So we're, what, sort of maybe 1985. So they, they've got the songs, but they haven't actually recorded them. They haven't become... Guns so they've all got ideas yeah. of what they're going to become in this band and then you go back and you pull up axel aside and you play 1985 axel chinese democracy and make him listen to it and go this is what you're going to do in 2008 and then you go to and you do the same all the band all the members 
but mostly Axel because it's Axel's album as far as I'm concerned. And he plays the Slash and go, okay, it's like you won't be on this album, by the way, because <laughs> you'd have fucked off. <laughs> but just, just this is what he wants to do, right? And then you play um, Slash, his latest. Well, you could say anything from 2008 onwards. He's basically everything he's done in the last 11 years, and go, and that's what you'll be doing when you. What are they now? Are they in 60s? Uh, no. Probably not. Oh, no. mid 50s, I'd imagine. Late 50s, late 50s, I suppose. Yeah, it must be late coming up to 60s. But fuck yeah. me, that's that. Okay, that's like time ticking on for me. Akira's over 60, and yet Mick Jagger is still fucking doing this shit. He's got to be much older than him, surely. So yeah, so my, my question would be if you um, if you played Tony's Democracy and all of Slash's stuff to Teenage Slash and Teenage Axel, what do you think their reactions would be and would they be happy with what they were doing? That's a good question because I... I saw an interview with Slash the other day and he was talking about like the riff of Sweet Child of Mine and how he said he didn't like the song and, and then he was saying look it's not it's not the the riff that I don't like it's I don't like what the song stands for that were this hard out sort of um hard bluesy fusion band and we're like fast and loud and then we do this soppy love song that that that, that just became this thing so he was saying that you know it's not that he doesn't like the riff it's just he doesn't like what the song stands for so that gets me thinking that he's got this sort of musical integrity an idea of what he was trying to achieve and then as you say anything from 2000s onward with well probably um, like 2008 or whatever it is onward yeah. it all sounds the same and it's all just like really formula bubblegum metal yeah. whereas yeah. i actually like the stuff that he did in the original slash the snake pit stuff where it's more raw and not so formula not so commercial so I, I imagine that you might say to Slash, hey, listen to the Snake Pit stuff. And you might go, actually, that's okay. And then listen to, yeah. like, especially the latest one, Living the Dream, and him going, oh, yeah, that's actually a bit of shit. It really, that... uh, yeah, it's just like, because that was the stuff that he got back with Gunners. As you're thinking now, so if you've got, like, like Slash likes to work he has to record he has to be writing shit and that's what really fucked him off being done the roses where actual roses are like when it's ready it's ready and so i can see that and you kind of want someone just to go slash me no this is just the same as so when they got together i thought oh, the next thing they'll do will be like a, a guns roses album and that'd be amazing but he's like no I'm, I'm going on tour with miles again because he's got like they're not touring without like because he did his, like Miles Kelly must be the hardest working man that he has at Autobridge. And then when he's not doing that, he's doing Slash. And there was like, there's no Autobridge uh, album and no Slash album. So he goes, oh, I'll not do. I'll do my own little solo thing. And I'll do that for like a couple of years. And when that finishes, I'll hook up with Slash again. And she'll think, Miles, have a break. Just like, 
enjoy yourself a bit. But so then you got back into that and you thought, so that came out really quickly. And I thought, I'm pretty sure that most of the chord sequences, like I sing the melody of uh, the pre, is a world on fire was the previous one. Because they're so it's like they'll blow into one. So you can, I think if you, there's a lot of songs that when um, I listen to Living the Dream, which by the way, it's a fucking awful title. Yeah. Just like, it is like, you know, like when like, like middle-aged men like us now, unfortunately, are trying to get out and the kids go, living the dream, boom. Yeah, that was 20 years ago, Slash. That was the thing. No one says that anymore. And I thought, I had all the fucking little emojis as well with the top hats. And you think, oh, the whole, like, everything is just... No, and he listened to it, and I go, I'm pretty sure you could sing all the melodies of the previous album over the new yeah. riffs and stuff they've done, which just means it's just stuff he's had, like, kicking on his head. He's churned it out. Miles has gone, but I'll get, like, I don't know, 20 million for doing this. Yeah, fuck it. I'll just sing some nonsense shit about nuns wanking off against candles and blah 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 because i don't mean anything when i do me all bridge stuff that means shit to people and my solo stuff means shit this he just wants me to think about girls and hookers and on the sunset strip and, and i just think oh it's just so formula and so like done by numbers you kind of go someone should be there to say do you know what mate not working no leave that right get together with uh like the next gun and bring that to the guns razor table because Axel will listen to you now. I I, I completely agree. And because he was touring over here and I didn't go like I know, a couple of months ago and I didn't yeah. go to the gig because that album was so poor. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm nah. And, and you're right. Someone should be going hate slash. Just nah. You're better. Than the other thing is, well, like there's a version of the, um, I think it was the one before, which had like 19 or 21 songs on it. And again, kind of go, like, uh, the one thing I will say about Living the Dream is it's like 45 minutes, it's 12 or 13 songs. Which it, it, it's a, I always thought that Slash just has, he just has all these ideas and just goes, <laughs> there you go. Thinking that somebody, like probably in Guns N' Roses, went, Right, we can sift through this, that shit, that shit, that shit, that's really good, we'll work on that. And he's just gone, my job's done. I've come in, I've recorded 60 riffs, 60 solos, and they all piece it together. That's how my head of the works, because obviously then it all comes together, it's like 19 or 18 for like the fucking these illusions, double albums and all shit. Mm -hmm. But it's like, he doesn't seem to have that kind of like quality control to go, Right, so I've just we've just laid down twenty-one tracks. An album is what twelve at most. So you've got a double album. So just maybe move those away and pick your twelve best, and we'll go with them. And then maybe they, but it just it's just like no, nah, no, nah, just stick it all out, stick it all out. That's slash the cockney I was doing there, by the way. <laughs> just fucking yeah. stick it all out, stick it all out. Be alright, it's fine. Get. So, but that's what I think, and that's the thing. Uh, like I said, that that slash album, the first one we did with all the the other people, you can see there was a creative kind of like different people's ideas. And I think Slash does struggle. I think he's not a lyricist, and he's got Miles Kennedy is doing the lyrics, but I don't. I think he is almost like in awe of Slash, and he thinks like so. Slash used to sing uh, in a band that sang about girls, drugs, and rock and roll. 
he's in a band Orbridge who's singing about like fucking crucifixion and the faith and loss and the meaning of, of life and what happens when you lose someone close to you and all sorts of stuff. So he's like really deep, hard, uh, heartfelt songs. And he goes to Slash and goes, do you want a song about a hooker who uh, goes to Mexico? <laughs> and then uh, goes, yeah, in a jail. Gets, yeah, yeah. Cowboy songs, yeah, brilliant. I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to go, dun, 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 dun. I'm doing that. So I don't give a fuck what you sing about, Miles. He's like, yeah, because I've pretty much I've poured my heart out on the last daughter bridge. I'm just going to sing about hookers and blow and like getting high on the strip because that's what I think you guys. And I just think there's there's, there's almost you want to go. I don't believe it's the same person that writes the lyrics for Ultra Bridge, writes the lyrics for the Miles Kennedy solo album, writes the lyrics for Slash and the Conspirators, and what? And also, that's the most unwieldy fucking name for a band slash and Mars Kennedy and the conspirators yeah it's almost like too many egos right so yeah, just call it the conspirators and that's like that's slashes like slashes tank bit yeah like you had um, like you got velvet revolver right it's not like slash and velvet revolver yeah. and Matt Sorb and the guy that died that was the singer yeah right this oh, I can see these uh the, the Brasserie 8097s are kicking in now. Um, Scott Wyland, that's it. Yeah. I don't know if it's, yeah. if it's Scott Wyland or Scott Vyland. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess it depends how close you are to your German roots. Exactly. But yeah, so... Um, but yeah, I was just, and also listening to... Like, I was listening to the old Chinese democracy. So like, that was like Slash's thing. Come back to Axel. And... My other thing was, I remember when when they recorded it, when he's putting his band together, A, I don't know why, why is it not called Axel's solo, because it is essentially Axel Rose's solo album. It's a load of hired guns, and I, I did really think that his, the reason why it wasn't a solo album was because it wasn't his idea, because he had a band together that was Guns N' Roses, so it's a Guns N' Roses album, because everyone that came in contributed, so it wasn't just his ideas. But essentially, to me, a Guns N' Roses album features the members of Guns N' Roses that did the it. It gets a bit complicated, I suppose. But it's like, um, what was I trying to say? The point I was going to say was... No, it's gone. It's really gone. <laughs> but, but you're right. The, I, I, think, I think Chinese democracy might as well have been or it is slash, uh, is um, Axel's solo, because Velvet Re Velvet Revolver is more like Guns N' Roses because it's got more members in it, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's but it, there was that kind of and again that's a band thing. They came together. There's a there's a band of five people that came together to write an album and create an album. The Chinese Democracy was written by Axel predominantly, and then he hired lots of people, and then hired some more people, and then some more people. Then producers who did a bit, and then Brian May apparently did a fucking amazing solo. I really thought thing he wrote, he did a solo because he was like, and he Axel invited him in. He did loads of work on this thing, came in, recorded a solo, fucking did it brilliant. Everyone loved it, and then nothing happened. And then next thing he knows, um, because he got a new band in and new producers, they weren't going to use it. 
And Brian May, because he's the loveliest man in the world ever, just went, oh, that's fine, I understand that, because obviously when I went in, he was in a certain mindset, and now he's in a different mindset, so what I did maybe doesn't fit. But I would love to, what they should do, like the women said, the outtakes album, I would love to hear the outtakes album of Chinese Democracy that took 13 years and 300 million pounds to make. And it, and it, it that's what I'm going to say, they had, um, that was my point, was they had, because he kept hiring and rehiring and firing people, to get into the groove, he recorded Appetite with all the new members. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, he, he has re-recorded Appetite Destruction at least three times with the new Guns N' Roses setup because that got them into like where they were and if they could, and you could see that if you if you can play appetite like they played appetite but in your, like, and added stuff and that's what i would like to hear i would love to hear like the mm. was it Buckethead and uh the djs this is what i love i don't even know the people anymore that were in the band because there's so many of them but there's the one where they had the kfc bucket with the screen mask on it so he's done like speech on a mine i suppose you can sort of hear if you listen if you go back to that sort of era where they were doing the tours you can you can because they did a lot of the old hits and stuff so they are kind of doing their own little vibe on it but i would love to hear that but basically yeah when he got the, the the band together they would then the first thing they did before they started working on new stuff they would go back and they would re-record appetite in full with this new band and that's how you that's the, apparently that's how you could tell if this band would work if they if he liked their interpretation they would then move on to the new stuff okay well, i guess that kind of makes sense in a way but a fucking lot i mean you're not really creating your own identity though are you and uh, the other thing was the reason why he said it took so long is because for the first time he was solely responsible for all the vocals and when i read that and listen back you can hear that he is now doing so many fucking different harmonies and voices that weren't on previous Guns N' Roses albums because it would just be like Izzy would do some backing vocals and Duff yeah. would sing some backing vocals and so they were just they would, like all the like, harmonies and stuff they would layer it in but they were like and I think Slash did some as well so like there were the three or four voices who could just go if you want to go ah 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 they would just do it whereas he was the only guy in the band that would sing so and that's why he got this really weird fucking crazy like proper high high pitched mm. screaming shit and that and the voices there's like the one song where he goes like as a guy as well doing it but so he's, he's done the same song like he's layering it four or five different times to get this kind of weird and you just think and when you listen back to you, you're gonna go i kind of like it because there's so much production and there's so much layering and overdubbing and, and but you know like but i also kind of like the the slashes approach just to go is that a take i fucking well yeah that's done fuck it off let's go do some touring yeah it's interesting seeing the 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 two different ways they went at it at least slash knocked out like a whole bunch of albums what did he do yeah. in, in the same time he did um the two snake pit albums 
um and then probably the the slash one i really like the the the, the first like slash one where he's got all the different he goes out to iggy yeah. pop and... yeah and also, i remember i i had the first one when it first came out and then there's been like loads that have been leaked so they can get like bonus there's almost like a whole album of ones that didn't make the cut and there's one with a, a japanese like uh, the japanese guy who's like the um he's just a, like amazing shredding guitarist who also sings and it's like a really beautiful haunting song that this guy sings on but apparently he taught like that he couldn't do the, the he couldn't sing and uh play the guitar at the same time so he taught slash to do this like amazing like really like like really high shredding because slash isn't really a shredder as such like a proper like so he did that and that it didn't make the cut because obviously he wasn't famous enough to make it so they, they obviously picked the, the ones that would sell the album like going look it's got Ian Ashbrook from the cult and it's got the Osborne and it's got the guy from Marine Five which again the fuck the fuck's he doing there because people like know him yeah so yeah I guess commercially viable kind of go he's on I'll buy that because so there's all that sort of stuff but there's there's these lots of really weird uh collaborations because he just was like was he just sitting there doing fuck all went I quite like to work with that guy and he'd come in and do a song and then they'd record it and then he actually had that time to quality control and and pick an album and there was like an album of outtakes that didn't make it that I've now heard and they go yeah they are shit but they're interesting yeah if there were more producers on the original slash album where you've got like ozzy and kid rock are going actually i i need to have some approval on this yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, wasn't it was, it was that also on geffen so i think that also has a lot to do with it uh maybe i don't know after, i don't know if that was on geffen but i know after that slash signed to some like really weird indie band uh, indie label who basically were just like so fucking gobsmacked that Slash signed for them. But it's because he couldn't get any fucker else to do it. Yeah. I think he was like the biggest name they had. So they went, here's lots of money, do what you want because you're a Slash and we've got you, so it'd be amazing. Well, I think his first album was on a major label and I went, okay, what we're going to do is, yeah, I love the concept, love the concept, but to sell, and I think that's what he's missed, that, that kind of almost business, sense like the, the the business the men the man come and said right here's how you do it yeah i mean the dual actually that that's a good point because i do have a bit of a problem with the record industry that the way that they kind of almost ruined the industry themselves same with like yeah. any general publishing because when when the internet came out and you could then share media more effectively the, rather than embrace it and actually go down like things like the streaming route and yeah. YouTube type route and eventually effectively where we've got gotten to now they really closed ranks and said no you got you well we'll do it the way that we've always done it and kind of almost imploded the whole industry much like what newspapers doing exact same thing the newspapers just go no we sell newspapers and we do it the way that we do it yeah embracing the way that the internet's going so i think that's a bit shit and how the music industry was just going hey the the old way was really profitable for us we still want our pound of flesh and even though you're not buying um a physical 
uh, vinyl or tape or CD anymore. We still want the same amount of money and all that sort of stuff, even though you can just get it so easily. And distribution is now so cheap and freely available and stuff on, on the Internet. However, maybe what is good about the man is, as you say, is actually putting some quality control and telling Slash, yeah, do you know yeah, what? You, they know what works, they know what sells. But it's, it's yeah. kind of like the artist creates stuff. Yeah. And then it's something like, say, you can have art dealers and stuff, like the art, the artist paints a picture. And art dealers like galleries trade that, so they know what works. So yeah. you don't stop the artist painting shit. The artist just paints what the fuck he wants. Yeah. And then the dealer comes in and goes, okay, I can, yeah, I can use that. That's good. That's good. That's good. I've got these 14. We can sell those. Yeah. And I think that's what it's almost like that we got kind of lost in that when the internet first came in, you went, do you know what? You've got garage band. You've got fucking uh, power pro, pro tools. You've got a computer. You can just do what the fuck you want and do it. And you go, you can. But at the end of the day, the, the public will still go, that's shit. Or I don't like that. Or I do like it. And it's always got that thing. I think there's a, a, all those there's the bands that have come in in the internet wave is they always come in because there's a, a, a buzz, a social media buzz, a craze about them, and then they start making money, and then there's a second album they've got loads of money, and so they go, all right, I want to want I want a four piece choir over there, and I'm going to sing about my house on the hill, and I, oh, I don't know which course to swim in, and they're going to go, and you, you've lost it again, and it's. It's, I think I remember watching that the, the Pearl Jam documentary and he had a, uh, Eddie Vedder had a real problem with uh, coming from nothing, singing about having nothing, and then suddenly becoming huge beyond your wildest fucking dreams. Because that normally happens around your third or fourth album. So you've got a bit of time to sort of play with your ideas and what you want to be and who you want to be and how you're going to, and what you say and how it works out. Because they, like, they were 19 when, and when it hit and and suddenly, they are the biggest band in the fucking world, and everything he says is written down by everyone. And took it on t-shirts, going like, "Eddie says that." You're thinking, "What the fuck?" And the second album was like a backlash that, and it, was, it just bombed because they went, "That's not what we are. We're not fucking. We're not part of this. We don't want to be the big next fucking Led Zeppelin or the next Guns N' Roses. We're like just a little band, just sort of trying to find our way in the world." And they spent yeah. so long trying to find their identity and also fighting for control of it now they're really happy and and again you've got that thing it's like now they write songs about surfing and just watching flowers grow whereas before they had songs that were like really yeah fuck yeah fuck the man fuck this shit and they're like no, no we did that yeah we fucked the man and we won so now we can do the, the, the whole Ticketmaster thing where they wouldn't sell they wouldn't tour in a place where Ticketmaster was selling tickets because Ticketmaster took like eighty percent profit off, off the the ticket price, and everyone. But they, they did it for everybody, and Pearl Jam went. Well, that doesn't make any sense because we're making the money, and you're you're fleecing the fans, so we're not going to play anywhere where Ticketmaster. Yeah, but Ticketmaster sell all the big venues, so you'll be left with like the little, little shitty venues. And went, okay, we'll do that then. And they were like, but but no, because you're you're committing suicide because no one will see you. And they went, no, we'll just play more venues. And it'll be cheaper. And so we'll still see the amount of people, but we'll play more shows yeah, to yeah, fewer cool, people. Right. We'll still see the amount of people, but they will pay, I think it's like, you know, $9 to come and see us. 
they'll pay $9. They won't pay $50 yeah. because we'll take four and they'll pay for and then the man will take the rest. That, but, and they, the idea was when they did it, everyone else would go, yeah, we'll all do that. But everyone else went, fuck off. We're going to go and play a fucking, what's it, um, Wrigley Field in San Francisco for 80,000 people. Fuck the and so they were on their own, and they they literally commit suicide, and they just like fucked away from it after that. And then they sort of came back because they were just they stayed true to their their dream. But it's like yeah. it would be hard to kind of go. But no, we're going to go and play to people. We'll we'll do ten shows in one venue rather than pay play one show in a ten thousand seater. But it's good that that's admirable, right? Because like like. Yeah, the, the whole ticket tech thing they're literally just fleecing people for, for nothing they're not adding any value so that's kind of cool if they got yeah. if they got everyone else oh yeah to that and that's what they were calling out and and what i love is what they did the thing that they would record the um soundboard of each show yeah and then just send it out to you know that idea we had that you go yeah. to a, you go to a show on the way out you get given a cd of the yeah. show you've just seen so you could replay it because you, you didn't miss everything but they they, they kind of did that but it was just like they recorded the um because that was at the time when file sharing started to happen and they really kind of got what file sharing could be so they would record the soundboard which would be like the what you know what you hear yeah and like on the cd upload it to a file sharing site and go hey guys we're we're in denver tonight and this here's what we played there you go have it do what you want with it Whatever you do, don't sell it. Please don't sell it. It's free to you to share. Share with all your friends, but do not yeah. sell it. Don't anybody sell it. There's no profit making thing here. And so that's why you go back now, like on the, if you go to, what was it, uh, Kazam and uh, LimeWire yeah. and then Groove Shark was the thing. Remember yeah, that, yeah. that was the other thing? You could go on there and search for Jam and there would be fucking thousands because that's what they did. They literally just, they, they made available. Every show they played was available straight away. As soon as they finished, the guys on the desk just put it together, tied up a little bit of things, burned it to disc and uploaded the internet and went, there you go, we'll play the show. And the Counting Crows were the same, the Counting Crows are the same thing. I said, there should be no bootlegging. You should, this is not a profit thing. We put a show on. If you pay it, buy a ticket, come and see us. We fucking love you. If you couldn't make it, we still fucking love you. Here. And I've got loads of fucking like, uh, let's say bootlegs, but it's not bootlegs because they're not. The, the, uh, so I know there's probably a thousands more, but I know of Counting Crows and Pearl Jam who had that same idea. Was like we put on shows for people who like us who want to come and see us. If you can't make it, here's what you missed. And now, of course, with the YouTube people sit there. I don't understand it, but I'm thankful they do it. They sit there with their phones up and record the whole thing, and as soon as they get home, they upload it. So there's you can just type in. Any band you want, full show, and there you are. You've got the full show. But wouldn't it be better, right? Because you know, if you if you're playing like a large stadium show, they've got the the uh, video feed as well as the obviously the audio, and then mm. the band themselves could just push it up there. I remember also hearing Slash fucking complaining about um, people recording stuff at a gig and putting it up on YouTube. Mm. He's like, oh, because then we're not making any money back on it. Like, dude, you got it all wrong. And again, it's it's the old. I think the old people are coming in with old, old yeah, ideas. Yeah, yeah. This is what people are doing now, and it's not. You're not gonna not buy the album 
because it's on YouTube, you're more likely to buy the album because you've seen it on YouTube and you like it. It's almost like the advertising thing. Yeah, yeah. I think they kind of got it wrong. I'd be, do you know, I, I, I'm actually interested in in um, Louis's take on this and how he finds music. Like you're talking about Pearl Jam and how they become just absolutely huge because yeah. you'd listen to Pearl Jam and then you, you'd um, give it to me and I'd be like, oh, this is awesome. And I go and buy it or probably copy it or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was all, all word of mouth because yeah. that was the only way back then, like especially fast and loud. It wouldn't be on the top of the pops. It wouldn't be on the radio. Yeah. Um, there was that thing on ITV like um oh with alvira oh that's it alvira yeah i was thinking yeah because it'd be like um this music thing almost like a jukebox music thing that they had oh um yeah keep going it's coming back to me and then like every four weeks i I think like every week it's like a different genre or something or they do like two. it was um like the yeah, you know, it was, it was, no, I tell you what, it was, it was the ITV chart show. It was like the video jukebox or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And each week they would have like, they'd play the top 40 for the videos. Yeah. And then each week they'd have like, they'd, they'd scroll, and it was like, it was all like animated and shit. And they have like the indie chart. Yeah. And they'd play right. the top 10 indies. And then next week they play the, and then the week after they play, I don't know, fucking the shoegazing, what the fuck the words, uh, the Jesus and Mary Chain, whatever the fuck that, I remember what's called now, but there'd be that chart and then there'd be like the country chart. Yeah. And like, I remember, and you knew that every four weeks you tune and go, it's a fucking rock chart. Yeah. No Guns Roses. And they would never play any fucking like uh, the, the No Guns Roses or anything like the all fucking like Wasp and uh, um, I think all those fucking Def Leppard. Oh, I'd say it was fucking hilarious. Uh, last night, Last night we were just flicking through. Um, we all we all sat like on the sofa watching telly, and EastEnders starts. So EastEnders, we don't watch EastEnders. It's not a thing you want like six or Archie to watch. It's all fucking most people are like. So I was flicking through, and I saw on BBC Four they had Top of the Pops, nineteen eighty seven. Right, I know It's I'm not. It's not ironic. Anything at all. It's just literally they've lifted this week. In 1987, because obviously that's what they, because they've got like hours to fill in their fucking recording schedule, but they've also got hours, like millions of recorded hours. So I just thought, from the vaults, let's just watch Top of the Pops 987. First thing, both me and Rachel went after the second song, like, why is Top of the Pops not still going? It's just fucking amazing. And I said, and it was great, it's 1987, right? There was Wet Wet Wet, Sweet Little Mystery, uh, What Was a Prize, in the studio, all the way from New Jersey, America, Bon Jovi. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to twist it over you. What did they play? 1987. 1987. Bon Jovi. We had the same little quiz in, obviously, Louis actually going. They had never fucking heard of Bon Jovi. And I got it wrong. Uh, I think I even got the wrong album. That's how much I know. So, 1987, Bon Jovi. What did they play? Okay, so this is 
This is Top of the Pops. So it's obviously going to be uh, a super popular single. So Bon Jovi, 87 popular stuff. So if you've got the wrong album, then it's probably not slippery when wet. So we're probably talking New Jersey. You said that, it might have been on that album. <laughs> like it might have been the right album. Thanks, <laughs> God. So I was like, it may have been on some I Now I think about it, I think it was on some Well, <laughs> oh, now you right, Ronnie, fuck me over. Okay. Do you yeah, want this? Yeah. Before Slippery it was New Jersey, wasn't it? Uh, so it and that was, was, and that started with da 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 da. Your love is like bad medicine. Yeah, yeah that was the that's, first. That's New Jersey. That was, and that was before Slippery Run, right? No, after. Um, was it after? Yeah. Oh, now you put the cat on species. Yeah, that, that clearly then I'm up on Jovi. Yeah, so it was. It, it was, was one of those two albums essentially. <laughs> so, so oh, mate by the way this is a great game in this so let's think bon, bon jovi it the first album i think was self-titled bon jovi i think yeah okay then See, i was I never think, bon jovi i i kind of i, I snicked in slip and wet okay i love keep the faith yeah and I, I was out i've since gone back and listened to everything and gone Everything was shit up until Slipping Room Wet. And I love Keep the Faith just because sentimental reasons. I've, uh, it takes back to like uni days. I loved it. Yeah. But generally, I'm not a huge fan. So that's just where I am. Yeah, I'd like the first two, actually. I mean, you got me into all this fucking guitar, long-haired yeah. rock shit. And then yeah. made me grow my hair. I become a rocker, so... <laughs> Yeah, so the first one with Bon Jovi, that was good. It's a bit weird, but it's good. Second one, something like 7,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, yeah. Something. With the big fucking poodle perms. Yeah. Yeah, there's some good stuff on there, actually. Uh, then it was Slippery. Then Jersey. Then maybe Keep the Faith. And there was another good one after the Keep the Faith. Uh, Jersey, so bad medicine was after yeah like the the big one fucking hell that's i always thought that because there's there's nothing on new jersey apart from better medicine i can remember there's another really good good bad one uh, i'm trying to think of there's another another go actually i i i got Oh, you're breaking the rules. You're not, you can't Google it, you know it. Ah, okay, I know it. Um, so anyway, back back to back to the game. Um, yeah, so 1987, Bon Jovi have flown over okay. and they performed live in Top of the Pop Studio with Gary Davis introducing them. Gary Davis, remember him? Ooh, Gary Davis. Ooh, Gary Davis. Ooh, Gary Davis on your radio. And that was how I made it. Okay. Or Andrew Clay. I did this thing. I did the same thing to Rachel, and she was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" I was like, "Gary Davis." They all had jingles in those days. Yeah, yeah. And Gary Davis was the looker 
because he had like fucking this beautiful, he was like just quite tanned and he had this like beautiful kind of really tight perm mullet. And he's like, ooh, Gary Davis, ooh, Gary Davis, ooh, Gary Davis on your radio. I did that and I just went, what was that? I was like, that's his fucking, oh man, where were you in 1987? Yeah, well, she was. From New Jersey, America, here's Bon Jovi with. 87. I, I my guess was for we, we had this game. So I love because now we got like uh, you, know, you can pause live TV. <laughs> so before they played a note, like, okay, what is it? It's a song. So all the bands in the studio, we had to press pause and go, what song is it? What song is it? What song is it? And we got every single one wrong. <laughs> and uh, it was this. What were we? 12, 13 at the time. Eighty-seven. Eighty-seven. So yeah. They, okay. so, here they are, and the first note is. Do we give you the first note? Oh, are you going to give it to me? Yeah, yeah. The first note is this might give it away because I'm a bit of a musician, so you might get this. And we are musicians, so you might know this. The okay. first note is. Down. That gives it away. Okay. He's got it. He's got it. I knew we get it. Well, I'll well, name this name. Oh, we could do over the um the Tom O'Connor show. Name that tune. I'll name that tune. His name it. How many notes? How many notes are you name in? Well, that that tells me that it's not um, it's not you give love a bad name, right? Is that right? Oh, hang on. Why that? It could be. I could still do the same. You give love about them's got seven notes to start with, surely. I'm running through the lyrics in my head now. I can only get to the solos, that's probably because I'm a I'm a lead guitarist. So is it is it living on a prayer? No. Do you want to name it in I'll play some notes. How many notes do you want to name it in? Four notes. I guarantee you'll get it in four notes. Uh, okay, well, let's try, let's try two. If I can play those four notes correctly, clearly. It'd be better if I had actually the, the, the thing. I could just go... Bla-da. So, the first four notes are... That's got to give it away. That is note perfect, pitch perfect, note perfect. Would you like it again? Yeah. Down, 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 down. That does sound remarkably like the theme to The Godfather, but I'm I'm guessing that's probably not one of uh, Richie Sambori's. Uh, give it, I'm literally, I'll just give it to you. Because if I had, I'm playing the whole rest of the song. Down, 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 down. I think I'm overthinking it now. So I think it's it's down. not. So, oh. so it's not. 
it's not um, what, what was my guess my guess was living on a prayer so it's not living, living on, on a, a prayer. prayer um it's not you guys love think a bad it's name. the same album i think it's the same album okay i'm trying to think whatever hits they had on on that album i'll be honest with you i didn't know this was a hit oh okay I didn't know this was even a single but i could see why it would be so I, I, I was kind of thinking if you're gonna in 1987 oh. you're gonna play uh the cowboy song yeah wanted they're alive yeah or living on a prayer they shoot over to play obviously their new single which i like but i never knew it was a a single and b they don't come over to play it and it starts first four notes now do you want more notes how many more notes do you want <laughs> give me number two <laughs> i like this game down so that's all how many no, that's six and that gives it away surely By the way, the opening six notes are also the opening six notes to the solo. Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet. Just trying to think of the actual, uh, any more of the songs on there. Oh, this is good. I think in future podcasts, we have to have a name that tune in six from some obscure thing and go, what? This is brilliant. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm liking this. The best thing is I know the answer. And also, when you hear back, you go, those were not the only six notes. That is, <laughs> that is remember, remember, <laughs> we are now uh, five, we're, we're five cans into the Brasserie 1897. So what I'm hearing may not be what you're hearing. <laughs> it would work better if I literally had the album here and played it. That'd be too easy. That would remember, be too um, easy. Where they had to do the intros round. Uh, do you remember No Mind the Buzzcox as a as a, a show where yeah. they had like comedians yeah. and musicians and like, it was like a side based glancing music. And the intro drum was brilliant because it was like it was big Phil Jupiter's and someone else would just like hum a song to someone. Yeah. And they would get more and more frustrated because after they could hear it's like so they switch on and like do 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 and they go, I don't know, fucking Beatles it's like it's like this. We are doing a live rendition of intros. How can you not get it from that? I've literally sung the opening line to you, but I haven't, but I'm about to. What about the lyrics? 
How about if I play the the rest of the opening line? Okay. So you got da 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 As I stood in the smoky room, something like that. Okay. Not about the wind. As my tram with strangers, now this bottle's my only friend. Remember days of being cool, playing guitar, and the band that played our favorite song, and you. Held me in my arms so low, we danced. You still haven't fucking got it. I, I have. We danced um, so close, and I swear I'd never let you go together forever. Now you go in. Okay. I. Oh yes. Okay. Yes. Ne never say goodbye. Never say goodbye. Imagine my short face. Here <laughs> <laughs> we go. Come on, Joby. 987. I'm going like, oh, it's going to be live on a prayer. Yeah, right. Really? Uh, or possibly, oh, what was the other one? Um, and that was it. Yeah. Gina works the diner all day. Whoop, 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 whoop. Yeah. whoop. That was the one, isn't it? So I thought, uh, or whoop, shake it up. It's bad medicine. Those three. And they were like, down this fucking dirge are you for real they brought yeah, the band up right. like that fucking shit i mean it's a lovely song don't get me wrong but I, was it, an, uh, I seem to think it's the last song on the album it's certainly on side two when yeah. albums had side two yeah I mean, yeah i think it might be towards it's it's a lovely song but it's like real fucking proper americana fucking uh like i think that's the thing the, the reason why i didn't get bon jovi is that they were so american and i think that's why you like them because you were so american and want to be so american so you like bruce springsteen and bon jovi yeah and all that fucking new jersey shit and i was like yeah but I, I don't know what they're talking about and uh However, talking of that, um, running back to your kind of little Stephen thing before, I watched a recent thing of, of on in concert. Of who? Bon Jovi. Oh, as in God, John yeah, Bon Jovi, yeah. who's now doing a thing with like because he's obviously from that same like Bruce Springsteen, like, New Jersey, that whole kind of like spring battle thing, and he's got. Um, uh, I'll send you a link if I can find it again I'll send you a link but it's really fucking brilliant um, he's got uh, like all these musicians from the Jersey Shore together to create like a superstar band and he just like comes on and sings a bit and they play like Bruce Springsteen songs and they play uh, some Bon Jovi stuff but like it's like hits of New Jersey and it's it's a bit like what I imagine um little steve doing it like it's rock and roll and so basically like because bon jovi knows he can't hit the high notes anymore he can't run around like a fucking spandex clad 
spoof on fucking perm so it's like what i love was i, I watched this thing and it's, it's almost like i want to watch it because i know it's going to be shit because i know he's shit now so i clicked on it and the first two songs are uh there's a guitar and he was he was in the e street band okay came in there billy something and he was nils, like he was in these rounds nils no, I don't think so. It wasn't that famous. I recognised his name. I didn't know his name. I had to Google his name okay. because the first two songs is just him. They played the Beatles. They opened up with um, Sgt. Pepper okay. and then they played like uh, back in the USSR. So it's like they, they play, it's like a Beatles cover band, but it's got like John Bon Jovi plays and he plays in, uh, it was in New Jersey. So it's like John Bon Jovi. So I clicked on the link and think this is quite good. And so it's like it's a seven-piece band, and they're all fucking playing. And then, of course, and they kind of back in the US is it's brilliant. I'm thinking, okay, where's John? Fuck. And the song finishes, and I go, I know what's going to happen. Then they go, ladies and gentlemen, Bonjo, and it doesn't come. They they do the next song, and someone else sings the next song, and it's like all these little bands playing. And for the third song, he comes on and sings like a Bruce Springsteen song. And it's absolutely fucking amazing. Yes, yeah, oh, find out and send the link. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. He's just fucking. It's like he's going back, like his heritage. Like, say, it was almost like saying, "Here's how I became what I became." Because I know all these songs. Uh, like, it's, it's, it's like the like, I know Black Springs. If you've seen the Netflix thing, I'm, I'm assuming you have seen the the Springsteen on Netflix. Yeah, the broad the Springsteen on Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. See, I've That's watched good. a bit of it. Like, I'll, what will happen is I'll watch something with Rachel and then I'll be again and she'll go to bed and I'll be flicking through and go, I'll watch that. And I'll watch it for like, say, three or four songs. And then I'll go, so I'm, I'm up like halfway through it. But also I realise it really echoes the book. Yes, right. And that's when I kind of go, so what he's done, he's written a book and someone's gone, you know what? That would make a fucking brilliant show on Broadway. Just you and a piano and a guitar and a harmonica. And then those bits you put in it's like filling why you wrote that song about that person. And so I kind of got halfway through. I thought, actually, I, I can't watch this until I finish the book because he's spoiling. Because that story he told about his mom, I read in the book. Yeah. And then the next bit, I thought, and a bit about driving, like he drove down the street with his dad. And, and I thought, but I fucking love it. That, that, that whole storytelling, because he is such a, a, just a, what's that, a magnetic persona like you i would hang on every fucking word he said yeah he he's uh he's really good uh raconteur yeah uh, you literally so i would just love to sit at the bar with him and just, like, just have a drink and and, and stuff yeah. but I, would, I also think you wouldn't if you but hang on a second bruce uh i'm not sure that's true <laughs> i think you go you can fuck the rock you can fuck off because i'm talking I don't believe he would accept hecklers. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So they go, are you sure about that, Bruce? They go, fucking right I am. I'm not sure. Fucking right I am. Okay, I don't think he's right. I think he's going to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, let me Google that. <laughs> As it says here, in 1974, you were fucking you can fuck off with your Google shit there. <laughs> but yes, I enjoy that. But um, 
so it, it was that kind of thing. I like that kind of thing where like musicians are sort of, and he was like going back to that, like Bruce Springsteen, like paved the way for uh, Bon Jovi. And also like Pearl Jam, if you look at Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder, now, he does a lot of Bruce Springsteen stuff because, and he, as he gets older, he's sounding more and more like Bruce Springsteen. And more of their songs are about like that, America, America's great. And the, like, it's all about that America wasn't as great as they were sold it to be. And I think it's like a big American dream that there's sort of, there's certain artists who have like a, a political side to them and they're mm. struggling. I guess the they're president are saying like, this isn't what we were sold in the 1960s with Kennedy. And obviously Springsteen was alive when that happened. Not alive, but was like, was young when that happened. So a lot of his songs are about that. And all these subsequent artists are growing up on listening to Springsteen sing about that and singing all those like the Bob Dylan and those kind of things. They then go, but we're in the 80s where everything's cool. And you get to the 90s where everything, oh, maybe it's not so cool because it's all sort of turning around. Because I think it's quite interesting to see those, those artists who in the 80s and 90s had their big bubble perms and had fucking the, the millions rolling in so now they're very, very rich, but they're in a position to go, maybe the rest of the world isn't so rich. And all these songs from the 60s were, it's like that, that cycle thing. So I think all those artists are now going back and singing those songs with that great power that they, it's just interesting, I think it's quite interesting to watch, like his Bon Jovi is a different performance from John Bon Jovi with that band. Who, John Bon Jovi with Bon Jovi. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I saw, um, like, I think I actually mentioned to, to this to you before. I'm not sure if it was if we were speaking or if it was just in um, an email, but I saw a fairly recent Rock in Rio of like some big yeah, bands. Yeah, yeah, Aer- yeah, 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 like Aerosmith yeah. Rock in Rio was good. They're still rocking it, and they're like fucking eighty or something. And Steven Tyler's still giving it large. And, and Joe Perry still shredding it. And then there was Bon Jovi, and yeah, not good. Like you say, um, John couldn't hit the notes. Uh, it was almost like someone doing karaoke to Bon mm. Jovi. It was really bad. It was, it was sad to see. Well, you had that thing bad. as well because it's like it's, he's not surrounded by like, from what I can tell, anybody that was in Bon Jovi before. So it's a little bit like Axel stepping out with just musicians behind him trying to do Appetite, which he can't do yeah. anymore. Well, true. Um, I'm not sure. I know that um, Richie's not there anymore. I'm not sure who else. Yeah. Uh, I think Tico's still on the skins, the drummer. Um, but, but it's quite yeah. funny that you have a sort of band of people that can do what they do. And so I was quite interested when like, the, the Gunners got back together because Slash has got a really tight band. But when they got back together, I say, absolutely, okay, so you, Duff's doing a thing, so he'll come back in. Yeah. But then they kept the same drummer. And the other guy, the, the guitarist, Richard, I think it's Richard Fortas, is the other guitarist. I was quite interested that when they, if you watch them play, they, they do kind of like slash didn't come and say like basically fuck off mate i'm the guy then if you know but you're the second guitarist because he actually has a little solo piece the, the, the ones i've watched 
that's that's because yeah, you can fucking have that. And they like they, they interact, which has okay. never ever. Like it's amazing that like when Izzy Izzy's a really good like lead guitarist, but Slash was the main man. So it was like when they when they were like in night in their heyday, yeah, Izzy was the reason and didn't want to have that sort of shit. But like they, I remember I was watching one of the, the shows where they come in and do like the popular they trade licks and shit and like he's doing and stuff. And there's one solo in a song where uh, I think it's Richard Fortas and he takes the solo in the song and Slash is just like over here just doing rhythm and shit. I thought it's quite interesting, like the way the two bands come together with all their history and, and what's going on between them. You'd kind of think, uh, but I do, I, I do find it interesting listening to Slash play the Chinese democracy stuff. Yeah, because yeah. that's what I think. So you get together and you go, you do realise that Guns N' Roses has released another album uh-huh. that you went off, and the fans are going to hear that, and I'm going, fucking don't. The fucking fans don't want to hear the Chinese Roxy shit. They want to hear me playing Appetite. That's, that's it. And I, do, uh, I've, uh, I heard in a few ways saying like cause he, he respected because um, there's a couple of songs he does and he said, I respect the guitarist that played it, but it's not my style. And I remember I played it and then played Slash's version of it. I can't hear a fucking difference. Oh, interesting. So Slash thinks he's playing it in his style. Yeah, he said uh, he's a great guitarist, and it's a great. I think it's um, better. Yeah. And it's like, uh, and it's like on the, the solo, it's like a couple like, like lots of like fretting and that sort of shit, and lots of weird like technical effects, which Slash doesn't do. He just does it like he just fingers it. I've listened to it over and over again, and I still think, yeah, essentially one of them is hammering on over the, the, the you know, diddly 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 diddly, and Slash doesn't do that, so he just, he just plays faster with his fingers. Well, I, I don't know. That's what I was, yeah, the thing was I got back when, it um, goes back to the original thing when Axel hired the band to play Appetite. What I would like to do, if they're going to go forward and record some new stuff, he should get whatever he deems to be the new Guns N' Roses should re-record Democracy. Oh. And then do your new stuff. Because I would like to hear, because that's why I was, I, was, I was going to say, because this is the whole thing, I of this and obviously thinking. The thing that gets me about it is it's just not a Guns N' Roses album. It's a good album. Yeah. It's got good songs on it. I like it. But the fact is, all of the rhythm section and the lead guitar section and the, the, all the guitars and the bass and the drums are different from everything that's gone before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other is the vocalist who has suddenly decided to sing like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Well, well, that's true. Even the vocals are very different, right? Yeah, because it has. There's, he's got like he sings in different voices and sings in different like inflections and does this kind of really weird high pitched thing with a harmonising with himself down below, which he's never. Before. So it's almost like the whole thing is just. It's a good album, 
but it is an Axl Rose solo album. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole, like, there's, there's such a, and it's layered, there's a wall of sound. There's a, I, I like it. There's a, it's layered. There's almost like there's guitar dubs on guitar dubs on guitar dubs with bass and drums on top of it. And then there's vocals all different. And it's such like a wall of sound that hits you that they've never done before. I think maybe the biggest problem is it just took too long to come out. So at that oh. point, it's it's always going to fail to some degree in the, yeah. you know, it took, it took what, was it a decade and a half or something ridiculous? And yeah. you know, it's never going to be that good to wait that long. And it's never going to be, especially without the band, it's never going to be a Gunners album. So it's it's almost um, damned if you do, damned if you don't. And like you say, it's a good album in itself. For yeah. some reason, I, like I like it, but it's not necessarily on my regular playlist. I probably listen to more Slash than I do Chinese Democracy. Mm. I think it's, it's almost, it's not so accessible. Like I say, Slashy stuff is just, it's bog standard, rhythm and blues, bang, 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 verse, verse, is a solo. You go, oh, yeah. that's really good. And it's the next song. And it's almost like it's it's trying to be like provocative and but it's good to do that. Yeah, it's true. It, maybe it's a little bit like going to an art gallery, right? The the stuff that Slash is pumping out is just it is good, it's pretty, yeah. you can go look at it. Yeah. But you'd look at it and glance at it and then you'd move on. Whereas Chinese democracy might be more like an impressionist painting that you want to look at the brush strokes you want to look at how much um how much ink how much paint is on the canvas you want to look at the how he's trying to do this light in this corner and this shadow over here and this dappling effect so it's almost like it requires more effort just to listen to the thing you don't just listen to it on your way to work you want to listen to it and actually hear it you you want to hear all the different harmonies all the different sonic interactions so it probably requires more effort to listen to no i think that's it i think that's that's one thing to say only today i was into it i realized there's like a little uh it's a little kind of riff that they play in the second to the last song that they played in the third or fourth song that's a simple little thing. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's just like, diddle little loo, diddle little loo, diddle It's just a little thing that happens early on in the album. And you say, that sounds fine. And because you never really sit and listen to the whole thing straight through. Today, I was literally, this afternoon, as I was cooking my dinner, I had it on. I was thinking, oh, that's a little thing. And it, it, like I say, this is like, what, 11 years later. And only now have I heard that little piece where, and it's and, I remember, and then I hear that the rhythm is the same as in the third song, just for like two seconds, and then they go back into the whoa, 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 whoa. It's this I love, I think, is the last song. It's the one before that, which is quite a big like, and as it's like this is big crescendo, and there's all sorts of shit going on. If you just listen, there's a little bit underneath it that goes, 
And it's the same solo riff that starts early in the album. I thought, oh, fuck, that's clever. That took me 11 years to hear that. I don't get that in Slash's. Like, mm. Slash goes, I'm playing three chords here, and here's a solo that you can't even possibly try to play because I'm amazing, I'm Slash. And I go back to and then Miles will sing something about chords and flow and I don't know, shit. And then we'll be gone and you can go back to what you're doing. That's fine. Don't think too much about it. It's not fucking rock and roll, uh, not fucking rocket science. It's just fucking us singing some songs. We'll probably go out and tour it and you'll all get smashed and headbang and I'll probably play some Guns Razor songs and blah, blah, blah. And we'll be done. That's it. Where that's was like, no, what I would like is in the 49th minute, I'm going to sing a note exactly the same as I sang in the third minute and they're going to go, oh, fucking my, it's that it's Pink Floyd approach to recording shit where every single note matters and every single note works in collaboration and it, it, the more you yeah. listen to it, the more yeah. it, oh my God, that's amazing. As opposed to, I want something to listen to just to get me through the day. Yeah. Yeah. And New talent. And maybe that's that's the difference that Slash has gone down the. I don't know. I think he's just over himself a little bit. It's a bit. But you can see how the back, if that's what your, your, your two driving creative forces are going, what I want to do is the Pink Floyd thing, where every single thing I sing, I will repeat on a, a, a dub layer that only if you have the most amazing fucking head you sit and get stoned enough you'll hear it that's what we're doing here and until you hit that note we're not leaving against the other guy going i literally want to come and play 12 bar blues hit the fucking notes and just get the fuck out and get back to the bar although <laughs> not anymore because i'm clean but you know what i mean as so that's the thing i think that's why you have those those two people going i want to take this band in this direction, and I want to take this back in that direction. But do, do you know what? Maybe they need both approaches because I think they've both gone too too far extremes. That Slash has just gone too far down. I'm just going to play chords, yeah. and it sounds like the last one, but the last one was alright. So what's wrong with that? And Axel, no, totally. I'd be interested to see what what they come up with. Like, I like the fact that now um, the Guns N' Roses are playing. Velvet Revolver songs on the tour, the Night Sliver okay. and uh, uh, Four to Pieces. Okay. So they've, they've so you can see there's a, like a thing that I think I quite like because I was thought when they come together, Slash will go okay. I'll just play all the Illusions and Appetite, fucking walking apart. That's what. Yeah. yeah. But there's another album I've done. And you go, yeah, well, fuck that. I was on it, was I? So, well, well, that shit. And then slowly, so again, well, I'll tell you what, you're going to play this, go away and fucking learn it. And it's a bit, I like this, slash going, I also did some stuff while I wasn't in this band. <laughs> Do you want to, like, listen to that and see what you'd like to sing? And I, but I like this, this I like the fact that they've done it because it's, it's like mellowing. But also, uh, it's interesting that he chose, they only now do Bell Revolver stuff, not Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the other one, 
all the other people. It's just gone. Yeah, that's stuff that the, the guy that died. Yeah, because Velvet Revolve was good. The other stuff is is not so. But it's also the fact that if if Axel Rose tries, I do believe Axel Rose tries to sing anything that Miles Kennedy sings, he'll just go, "Not even fucking close, mate." Yeah, maybe. I mean, he certainly lost I'm, his range. Like, it's basically yeah, a guitarist. As they get older. The guitar gets older, but the guitar doesn't go out of tune. Yeah. And I think that's where Axel's struggling, is he can't... I, I, I listen to, like, the, the on the YouTube, all those things. I just, I think, why are you doing this? That wasn't on the appetite thing. Why are you doing that? And then the more you listen to Chinese democracy, you can hear that kind of falsetto thing coming in. And obviously that's what he thinks is cool. And they want to go... Like, if I was Slash, i go, whoa, what the fuck are you doing? Whoa, 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 whoa. What, what was that? Because I played this song with Miles. He doesn't do that. He just sings it fucking note like you did. What the fuck was that? But it must have been a thing where Axel goes, no, it's how I do it now. I do yeah, it like Mickey Mouse. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's, fucking, it's painful to listen to i listen to that all those those shows on youtube just to hear the band but if i could i would hit out the vocals because the vocals are awful yeah and he, when, can when I, he can do it hmm? well when i well, saw them in sydney oh mate it was the worst gig i've ever been to just because the sound was so bad and um, we didn't have great seats but man, like I, I, I sat there and I'm a huge Gunners fan. I couldn't tell you what yeah. they were playing. The sound was that bad. We <laughs> eventually moved seats and it was better. But, and also when I listened to it on YouTube, like different gigs, the, the sound, it was just this wall of sounds that you can't, you couldn't actually yeah. hear what they're playing. And then because he's singing so differently now, because I think he's lost his range. It, yeah, it's hard to hard to pick out what he's doing. It just seems like it's weird. It's like I don't understand why he. It's the low notes that he can't get, not the high notes. So he just sings everything in this weird falsetto. Yeah, like Mickey Mouse has come into Guns N' Roses. Gone, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like to be in a rock and roll band. Can I go? I can go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there you go. But that's. That's how I don't understand. You can and honestly, he's singing this low, low register, really deep low. So I understand that as you get older, you can't hit the the, the range as such. But surely you could just you can get a band. They're all musicians. You can go, hey guys, I can't hit the high. So can we like come down a, a key and play to me where I'm comfortable and I can still go because that's what you want. You want that fucking growl that he does. You never went to a, you never ever went to a Gunrosa gig to hear him go. <laughs> yeah, right, I mean he's like he's like a choir boy now, right? Yeah. And like, it's like it's like that growl has gone. So surely you knock it down and go. And that's a great thing. I remember uh, when I first heard uh, Chinese Democracy, and the thing that told me I was listening to Guns N' Roses and not Slash and all his friends. Or Slash and Miles Kennedy, and I, I absolutely fucking adore Miles Kennedy. I think Miles Kennedy is probably 
the greatest singer I have ever heard. I think he his his range is just fucking beautiful. And I would I would literally I remember uh, this is going back in the day, Matt Matty B. Matty yeah. B. Yeah. Uh, with REM. I've 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 come late to REM. I appreciate REM now. I didn't when I was nineteen. And Matty B once said to me, "Thing is, you've got to listen to his voice." You there, dude? 